Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to another star-spangled Space Knight-erific episode of Comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I am joined tonight by a very special guest from Quad M Productions, host of the Quad M Podcast, creator of the Enigma comic book series. I am joined tonight on this episode by my good buddy, TJ Damon. Hey, what's up, man? How's it going, TJ? How we doing, bud? Good, good. And so <laughs> so we're actually here tonight to discuss a series of comics, and these were comics I actually asked. I, I kind of wanted to do, I, I guess what I'm going to call this show is the TJ Special, because I, I wanted to discuss some comics with TJ. I thought it'd be fun to have him on. He's He's been kind enough to have me on his show multiple times, and I thought it'd be fun to do a, a podcast show with him on our Fan Holes Network, and I know we both enjoy partaking in the comic books, and so I, I kind of reached out to him and, and asked him what some comic book characters and series he might enjoy discussing, and when it came down to the nitty-gritty. What we had settled on was two issues of Captain America, Captain America 253 and 254, which we're going to be discussing in the first half, and then in the second half, we're going to be discussing ROM Annual 1. So without further ado, I'm going to get into synopsizing the two issues of Captain America, so then me and TJ can discuss it. So, here we go. Captain America 253 and 254, they have the cover dates of January and February 1981, but they were actually on sale in October and November of 1980. The title of Captain America 253 is Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot? It's written by Roger Stern. Its penciler is John Byrne. And the second issue, 254, has the title Blood on the Moors with the same creative team. And, of course, the cover price was a whopping 50 cents. Ah, uh, the good old days. Yep. I kind of, yeah, 60, 60, 75 cents, I think, was, was my kind of introduction to it. But, but I think comic book fans will always be complaining about the ever-raising price of comic books. Even the parental units back in those days were freaking out about 50-cent comics. Back in my day, it was only 10 cents. Yep, yep. I was only 12 cents. And then, and then my mom <laughs> threw them all out, so it's like they were worth no cents. And so that's they're... why we're growing up poor middle class. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 
So yeah, so here we go, Captain America. In a small village in London, a local Bobby and Dr. Cromwell have found the third victim of the so-called slasher within the last month. The two quickly inform her ladyship, Lady Crichton, also known as Spitfire of the Invaders, of their findings. Although Lady Crichton promises to use her influence to get Scotland Yard involved, her father, Lord James Montgomery Fallsworth, knows there is only one man who can stop the party responsible for these heinous crimes. We then cut to Across the Ocean in Brooklyn, New York, before Steve Rogers can enjoy a night on the town in Manhattan with his girlfriend, Bernie Rosenthal. Captain America puts an end to a robbery in progress at a local liquor store. Steve then makes it to his date to see the musical Oklahoma with Bernie just in time, and afterwards they head back to Steve's apartment for a nightcap. It's like Luke Cage is like, hey, you want some coffee? Exactly. Sweet Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Just when things are heating up, Steve gets an emergency call from the Avengers butler Jarvis, who informs him of a coded wire sent from Lord Fallsworth to request his aid overseas. Forced to cut their date short, Steve takes a commercial flight to London, England, and reminisces on his time as a member of the World War II era super team called the Invaders. Steve has a brief reunion with Lady Crichton, who he calls Jackie and Lord Fallsworth, also known as the original. Union Jack, and Union Jack tells them both that the so-called slasher must be their old foe, Baron Blood. Cap agrees to investigate the matter, but is shooed away by Dr. Cromwell, who does not believe in the existence of vampires. Later, while checking on the remains of Baron Blood in the Tower of London, Cap and the inspector from Scotland Yard discover that the staked skeleton in the coffin of Baron Blood has been replaced with that of a 20-year-old girl. When Cap returns to Fallsworth Manor to report what has been discovered, he is introduced to Jackie's son Kenneth and his art school buddy Joey Chapman. As the day turns into an evening with a full moon, Baron Blood attempts to attack Steve Rogers in his guest bedroom. Luckily, it is a trap Steve has set for the Baron, and he slams Blood away with his unbreakable shield that was hidden under the covers. As they continue to fight in the mansion, Blood ultimately utilizes his vampire hypnotism on Cap, leaving him open to succumb to the vampire bite of Baron Blood. And of course, that is the end of issue 253, to be continued in 254, and we're just going to keep on going here. Fortunately, as Baron Blood chomps down on Captain America's neck, he fails to realize it is protected by Cap's signature chainmail armor. Thwarted from turning Cap into a fellow vampire, Blood remains determined to at least kill the Star-Spangled Avenger. However, even as Kenneth Crichton and Cap attempt to fend off Baron Blood, the evening has ended and the sunrise is upon them. Baron Blood then flees as dawn breaks, and Cap briefly considers that Joey Chapman could in fact be Blood in disguise. There's a brief flashback to the origins of Baron Blood, as he is Lord James Montgomery Fallsworth's younger brother, and later even pretended to be his own son, John Fallsworth, during World War II. The invaders eventually defeated Blood, and Kenneth, who is explaining these past events to Joey, confesses that he isn't likely to take up his grandfather's heroic Union Jack mantle. Later, as Kenneth and Joey discover to their horror that their girlfriend Jenny at the local pub has fainted due to vampire puncture marks alongside her neck, the two young men, along with Cap and the entire town, take up the hunt for Baron Blood. Lord Fallsworth feels left out of the action. Although Cap and Jackie discourage the wheelchair-bound old man, he puts on his costume anyway, but is struck by a heart attack during the heat of the argument. 
When Dr. Cromwell is left to see the stricken Lord Fallsworth, he reveals himself as Baron Blood and intends to turn the original Union Jack into a vampire. However, this too was an opportunity to set a trap for Baron Blood, as the man who fights back in the Union Jack garb is a younger, more virile man that still has the use of his legs to kick back the attacking Blood. Cap joins in the fight, busting down the door locked with his mighty shield. Although the new Union Jack is earnest in his attempts to stop the Baron, he is still young and inexperienced. Cap ultimately must bring down Baron Blood himself and decapitates the Baron using his shield. Joey Chapman stands revealed as the new Union Jack, and when the group sets the remains of Baron Blood on a funeral pyre, Lord Fallsworth, the original Union Jack, quietly passes away. The end. Yeah, and that that's the two issues that are Roger Stern, John Byrne, a really, really well regarded run of Captain America. So TJ, like how did you how did you first come to this? Is this something you got on a on a spinner rack? Is this something you bought from a comic shop? Like, how'd you first read this? You know, it, I, truth be told, I mean it wasn't it wasn't a spinner rack per se, but it was actually bought, you know, at a at a store. You know, back in the days when comics were sold in gas stations and convenience stores and pretty much, you know, anywhere you'd look, you could find a funny book. I I think my aunt worked in a like a little gas station convenience store in the thriving metropolis of Wolf Creek, Montana. (laughs) And and, you know, I would continuously go in there. Ironically enough, I mean, that's where I got a lot of my comics as a kid because they would and a lot of people are going to be horrified by this. But when comics weren't didn't sell and they had to take them off they had to cut off the 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 top of the uh the cover and send them back and send those snippets back to get refunds and that type of stuff so i'd get like a lot of free comics that way oh okay i i know i know they even tried to like in the old days like even though they were supposed to destroy you know the the, the comics that they stripped the covers of like a lot of times you you'd be able to find like a bunch of them for like, you know, super cheap cuz they had no covers and they you yeah, know even though the yeah. retailers weren't supposed to resell them, but that's of how a lot not. of people no. sometimes read comics where they'd they be like they, I, yeah, they do like grab bags and that type yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you they're know, like, like they're 10 like, comics for a buck or something. Like, I read this, but I don't know what the cover looks like because I never <laughs> had it, you know, type thing. But this one was actually fully purchased. I still have the copies you know, squirreled away. These were actual real, they weren't hand-me-downs. They were the real deal. And so you figure I, you know, got these when I was like, yeah, I would have been, if, if the release date was October of 80, I would have been four. I would have been the grand age of four years old at the time. And I just, I, I remember it was so sporadic as to what comics would, would, would be made available. And so I knew who Captain America was because of Avenger stuff. And I thought, oh, cool, Captain Scott's going book. And the, the 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 cover of 253 with, with, with Captain America, you know, standing there with the flashlight and having that eerie hand coming out of a coffin. I mean, that's just that's just too cool to ignore. You know, that's it's it's it was just, you know, and 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 picking it up. And, and yes, I was able to read and understand the story perfectly fine. Looking back on it, I totally forgot Captain America went to go see Oklahoma. <laughs> you, you know, you know, what was funny, though, was like I was looking at it and, and Bernie's like, I think I would have rather seen O Calcutta. And Steve's like, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. You know, so you, you I know. don't think a proper lady would want to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we need some more coffee before we see O Calcutta. 
But let's go back to your house and fuck. Oh, I'm sorry. Can, yeah, well, based based on the title of the show, I think I can say that, can't oh, I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You can say yeah. whatever let's, you want on this show. This is not... Let's, let's... This is, <laughs> the fan has been explicit for years now, because I can't... Get, we, none of us can, can keep it in check, so we figured How, we how well... about we just go back to your apartment for some uh, star-spangled shenanigans, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's, it's it can't be too bad, because, you know, it's like, even though he goes out of town, she's, she's still trying to take care of his apartment and all kinds of stuff while he's out fight, fighting barren blood and stuff so i was like that's yeah she, and, she, she was always a pretty cool cool girlfriend for for cap i think yeah and at that point he hadn't revealed the secret identity and you figure i mean i just say this from personal experience if you're a superhero and you have your girlfriend apartment sit for you your secret identity is going to be well exposed by the time you get back because there's no way in hell she is not snooping She's through not all your shit. She's going through the closet to see like all the extra Captain America uniforms and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, let's take a look at some of that, some of that commercial artist work that he's been doing. And next thing you know, she's finding his fucking Avengers gear all over, you know, everywhere in that secret spot in the closet. It's like, how did you find this? Oh, uh, just it was just there. It's like, no, 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 no. It's behind the secret panel that you actually have to know the code to. What were you doing, you Snoopy bitch? <laughs> And and Roger Stern never touched upon it ever. Don't fucking go in my closet. <laughs> I, I think that's that's one of those like happily blind spots that, that you're just supposed to accept. I think because it's like because <laughs> comics, you know, it's like she didn't. It's she didn't. Be- she didn't snoop through things because comics. It's just because it's just because comics. We love it. We move on. <laughs> but. I, you know, and, and, and looking back on that time frame, looking back on that era, the one thing that just always blows my mind is, and, 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 and like you said, this is one of the, the, the most seminal, this is one of the seminal runs on Captain America. Cause this was, this to me was the John Byrne era when he was at his art, artistic height, you know, cause I mean, prior to that, I mean, you look at the body of work that John Byrne was doing in, you know, from the late 70s to the early 80s. Iron Fist, Marvel Team-Up, Avengers, X-Men, Captain America, and Fantastic Four. And a lot of these, he's doing two or three books at a time. Plus, he's doing covers for other titles like Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man and probably some Power Man and Iron Fist stuff. You know, I mean, he was doing all these. The cat was busy and he was putting out quality work. And a lot of it probably could also be attributed to the inkers he was working with at the time. I don't know how loose his pencils were, but you also look at like, you know, Terry Austin, Joseph Rubenstein, and I'm probably missing some other guys. I don't know if he ever worked with Esposito during that time or anything. But I mean, you just look at the volume of work where he's putting out two to three books a month. It's It, it was almost in, in that short, like five year period. I mean, he was putting out like Kirby level volumes of work and it was it was even more like like more detailed. But here again, I don't know what the original pencils look like. So where that detailing, if it actually came from him or from the inkers, I don't know. But it's still something that to me, it's taken me two years to get the fourth issue of Enigma out. And here he and, and this guy was just 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 
pumping this shit out like crazy. So it, 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 it amazes me. It blows my mind and it amazes me. I think sometimes when you see those those raw pencils and things like like the two Morrows or back issue and stuff like that, I mean, I'd be willing to go for bat, go to bat for John Byrne and say, I'm sure a lot of the, like, I, I think when detail is skimped, that's his choice. And, and when detail is accentuated, that that is also his choice. And that's not to downplay any of the embellishers or inkers that he's worked with or anything. But I, I'm willing to bet, you know, when there's lots of dead white space in the panel, that's because he chose to do that. And when there's a bunch of cool, you know, like imagery and and buildings and, and, and drawer dressers and all that other stuff and caves or what have you, mm-hmm. like that's that's also you know, his, his choice as well, you know, like, right. because I, you know, it's like, I, I, I think, and then, and then this too, like, reminds me of like that, that cover where it, it I, I could be mistaken on this, but it, it reminds me of like certain, certain clouds and certain things. And, and especially the cover, like remind me of the whole use of like, he, he was always into what they called the duo shade, like where it's like, there's that, that kind of excess, like, shading or whatever depending on the type of paper he used you know and right, like, right. so i was like i you know i, I always kind of found that kind of cool because it's like you sometimes you don't realize like the the techniques that people use to do things because like i i think when when you sometimes look at art linearly like when you're drawing say snow or stars a lot of the times like I think as a kid, I would sit there and go, oh, I have to draw like every single star. And then I shaded right. in the black after I drew all the stars and, and, and seeing, you know, artists work on things. Like I remember I was watching Tom Lyle work on a commission when I got something signed and, and his whole thing was he was drawing black cat in the snow, but he had filled out all the black first. And then he took like this little, almost like, you know, it, it was either a white marker or like a, a white felt tip pen or something where it was like he was putting on, you know, white out like little spots of white out onto the mm-hmm. black that he'd already drawn down. And by the time he got through of it, you're like, Oh look, it's snow, you know, like, like, right. and it's right. like, everybody's got their own little techniques to, to sort of yeah. embellish their, their pieces and stuff like that. And I think, you yeah. know, the same thing with the duo shade was something that, that Byrne had used, you know, especially in those days to sort of embellish his, his existing artwork and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and it's one of those same things where like you were talking about, you know, drawing each star and all that type of stuff. And and one of those blow away moments for me was when I saw an artist because <laughs> they say you can you can use anything really to get the effect you need. And basically it's just, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to paint this entire panel black. And then I'm going to take this toothbrush, dip it into pro white, which is kind of like a, a style of, of white out. I'm just going to dip it in there. and I'm just going to flick it. Yeah. And here we go. There's your stars. And I'm like, seriously, that's all you did. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always fun to learn, like, sort of people's personal tricks of the trade and, 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 and how they, they go about crafting that kind of stuff, you know? And and one of the things that I really miss now, and I know, I mean, in the digital age, we can recreate all that type of stuff. But one of those things is you were talking about, like, the dual shade and that type of thing. And it's just on a totally different tangent here. But one of my favorite inkers from that era also was Bob McCloud, because he would use a lot of Zipatone and I love the look of, of, of Zipatone as that, that secondary gray type shade. Yeah, so it's not yeah, just a yeah. hard black. Yeah. I always thought Zipatone was beautiful and I wish that was something that was still able to be used. And I know people you're, can, you're like, you're like, can you, can you, can you do that? Can you make Photoshop have a little 
app where it's like Zipatone app or whatever. Right. You know, yeah. And and like it's that. I mean and and I've seen it. I've actually I've researched it and you can do it, but it's, I'm inherently not, lazy. Mm. Yeah. It's it's not. I'm just inherently lazy and I just really don't feel like doing it. So. I don't go that route. But anyways, back to back to the Captain America versus Baron Blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is because, you know, what's funny for me is this is one of those things like I, I, I think, you know, when I when I settled on like certain stories from Cap that I think were, were great or iconic. I mean, th this run definitely comes into that. But I think it, it's also one of those runs where I feel like I I I. I did pick certain issues like I like 250 a lot, you know, like and and so that's I think one of the ones I went with on my top 10 list, but it's like these kind of runs are so seminal you you are kind of hard pressed. You're like I like them all, you know, it's, like it's like trying you, to pick a favorite. You're, yeah. you're hard pressed. And this is this is cool as well because it's and and that's why I thought, "Hey, why don't we just talk about, you know, the Baron Blood issues since you seemed keen on them and we'll focus on that as you know, the, the first half of the show. And it's like, that's, that's one of those things I think, you know, for certain people, like I know, I know one of my fellow fanals, Justin, like he loves the invaders. So like, that's one of the keys for this story for him, you know, it's like, it deals a lot with the, the world war two history and all that kind of good stuff. And it's fun seeing kind of, I guess you'd say like golden age, like, quote unquote Marvel characters, you know, like kind of right. interacting and everything. And so they and they're also sort of setting up like the legacy of of Union Jack, you know, so that they have a you know, not only the you know, they're not only sort of regaling you with the the past Union Jack, but they're they're also setting up one for the the modern day as well, so that, that you've got that in stories to contend with in the future. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I like definitely... your passing of the torch type yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always had a, why in the hell would they name themselves the invaders when the whole point of them is they were trying to fight the invasion forces of the Germans and the Axis powers? I never quite understood why they did, why they named themselves the invaders. Was that ever revealed in any of the books? You know, I'm not, I, I'm not as well read on invaders as Justin is, but I'm I'm guessing that the whole deal of it was they they were, you know, breaking into german occupied territory so that that's how i always took the the name of the group you know what i mean like like it was or or even even axis occupied territory i mean i'm sure there's some issues of the invaders where they they you know go into japan and stuff like that too so it's like i i'm pretty sure there's or japan held territory you know like type right. stuff like that so i always took it as they were invading you know axis controlled territory not so much that they were like an invading and or occupying force it was more like you know we're, we're, it's like we're we're you know we're we're smashing the axis we're smashing terror you know like we're we're invading the the bad guys basically so like that yeah. that's how i always took the name of the group but i don't i don't know if there's like a there's probably some i mean it's written by roy thomas so i'm sure there's some like long-winded panel where like franklin delano roosevelt sits there and like explains why they're named the invaders or something but i right. if, if there is we I'd can't have name to, you the nazi i can't name you this i'm like if there is i'd have to research it and find find whatever <laughs> it is but yeah I don't, I don't know what off the top of my head 
Yes, Cap, Torch, it's true. Who else could have persuaded me to leave my own subsea kingdom? To make sure he crossed the Atlantic safely to preserve his own empire? Who but the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Winston Churchill? Yes, yes, Prince Namor. And you've done a splendid job, splendid, all of you have. But the real task is yet to do. And as only a few officials knew in advance, I have come here to confer with President Roosevelt on how best to deal with the common foe. As Krighoon learned, so he tried to destroy you. Yes, well... That's the risks one takes. War, you know. Hell, they say. Huh. I must be off. But I implore you, swear to me you'll shelve your own petty squabbles for the duration. Surely until our two nations are ready to invade Hitler's conquered continent, his fortress utopia, you five shall act as our own unofficial invaders, eh? Yes. Yes, of course you shall. Farewell, gentlemen. We shall meet again, I trust, in Berlin. To the White House, driver. And hurry, please. I've things to do. Who can argue with a guy like that? Who would want to? Look, Look out, out Axis! Here we Here come! We come. By Warbots. We can't name you the Nazi superhero kick-ass cool club, so instead we're going to go with invaders. How does that sound? Yeah, yeah. Right by me, Chief. You we're know. go with that. <laughs> but yeah, like, and, and like I said, I mean, they're... Like, like, like you say, there's, there's so many within that run of books, you had so much really, I mean, just great art and, and good stories. You had the, the machine Smith and dragon man arc. You had the cap for president. You had Mr. Hyde and bat rock taking over a rocks on oil tanker that actually held a nuclear warhead. Then you got Baron Blood. Then you got the recap. And really, I mean, that's it. That's like nine issues. And that's all of the, the John Byrne run there was. And I'm always amazed at how people can look at a seminal run. And it's just that little bit of time. Nine months is, ve is a very short period of time. But yet people will always go back to that. And you look at it. I mean, those books are, God, 38 years old now. And there's still ones that people go to. I think one of the high parts in the book, and even for me as a kid, there's always been that unwritten rule, but it's always clearly stated in the comics, that heroes don't kill. Unless, of course, you want to point out early Batman comics where he's using guns and pretty much everybody dies at the yeah, end of my, the book. My take on that was always that was kind of a comics code approval thing. Because, right. like, in you know, if you look at all those, like, sort of, I guess, strictly speaking, like, you know, World War II era comics or, or you know, post-Depression era comics, it's like they people were getting their necks snapped left and right. I remember, like, one of the Archie heroes, like, I think my favorite is, like, the, there's an Archie hero called the Comet that was later done for DC. And I think there's this one where he just, like, flies this guy up to the sky and, like, goes, poof, lets him go. And he just splats him or whatever. <laughs> like, so it's, like, stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, why can't they do that more? Like, this is cool. But, you know, <laughs> I, I know, like, you know, basically, like, after the comic code, it was, like, everybody sort of was on the up and up. They were all deputized agents of the law. Right. They didn't break the law. It nobody, was all... No, you know, nobody killed anybody. Nobody committed, quote, unquote, murder. Like, that kind of thing. So that's, that, that, for the most part, yeah, that's, that's kind of how superhero morality as as we knew it when we were growing up reading comics in the 80s generally generally was you know and then you you know you sort of dovetailed into the kind of you know the the chuck bronson you know 
kind of Punisher types, which of course, you know, skewed that line or, or, you know, the Wolverines. And then, you know, the further you got into the nineties, you know, the more that became diluted. And there's, there's certainly examples of, of even, you know, like, like we're talking about with Captain America. I know, you know, people would point to this storyline as saying, you know, like, does Captain America kill, you know? And it's like one of those things where some people would argue, like, did he not kill anybody in World War II? And usually the answer to that is no, he, he, of course he killed people in World War II. And that's, and that's the route that I always go. And the fact that if you're in the U.S. Army or any branch of the armed forces, the first, one of the first things you're dealt with when you're in basic training is, you know, the maintenance, the, the field stripping and reassembling of your M16 rifle or whatever rifle you were issued, you know. So, yeah, he is well versed on, you know, using infantry weapons. Whether or not he chose to carry that as Captain America, did he need it? No, not really. Not with the super soldier serum. You have a shield. You know, he can kick ass and do whatever you need to do. So I was I was okay with him not having a gun. But to say that he never killed anybody, come on. He's a World War II vet. You know he you know he took down some of those dirty krauts back in the day. But with that being said, here again, comics code establishing the fact that, you know, our heroes don't kill. Even at the even you know at that tender age of four years old, in that that third act of the the final issue, and I know we're kind of really jumping ahead without talking a whole lot about the the main crux of the story and stuff, but that final scene where you know Baron Blood is is clawing at him and he's ripping through the chain mail and 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 all that, and you just see that that anguish pained look on of anger on on Cap's face that John Byrne captured so well and then all of a sudden using the shield to decapitate the vampire that i mean for a 4 year old that was some pretty powerful imagery back in the day well they they sold it well too like it's not it's not like you know i i think you know some people can misinterpret me you know it's like it's not like I revel in the killing of one's enemies, but at the same time, you, you know, it's like he does what he needs to do. And, and yeah, he, he has these moments of, you know, like when he's slumped over against the wall and everybody's like, just give him a moment. You know, he's been through, he's been through some, some shit. Like he just needs a moment, you know? And, <laughs> and like, that's, you know, it's like, he's give him a moment. He's having his PSTD give him a second. You know, he's, 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 he's going through some stuff, you know? And, and it, it, that, that's one of those things where, you know, I mean, it, it seems kind of flippant, but my, my thing is, look, he felt bad about it, but he, you know what I mean? Like, like cut him some slack. He felt bad about it. You know, like he's not a bad guy. Like he, he doesn't want to kill people. It's like, it was just something. And, and you know, what's funny is it, it, it's funny how, how morality can get skewed as you go down into the, the level of, you know, supernatural type things, because there, there is that argument that, you know, oh, well, Baron Blood doesn't count. He's a vampire. He's a vampire. He's you know, undead. He's undead. Like you, you can't, you can't kill something that's already dead, basically like that, that, that can be the argument for like a lot of things <laughs> where you're like, you know, do, it's like, quote unquote, does Batman kill? And it's like, well, he stabbed that little vampire chick Skeeter in the swamp in that one annual. And you're like, yeah, but does, does that count? Like she was a vampire type thing. So like people, people will have these these nerd arguments over the, the interwebs and message boards. I remember back in the day of like, you know, when does Batman kill? Does Batman kill? You know, when does Captain America kill? Does this qualify as 
as him killing. And, you know, I've always kind of been of the same opinion as you. Like, Captain America's a soldier. Like, soldiers do have to kill people in battle. He's done it before. He'll do it again. Like, and there's nothing, to me, there, there's nothing morally, uh, you know, abhorrent about that. He's doing his job, you know, like, like that, he, you know, he's doing what he thinks is right in the current climate and situation. I mean, there were, there were issues in the Mark Grunewald run, I think, where he, he mowed down that one ultimatum terrorist guy or whatever that was like uh, holding a bunch of people hostage. And like, yep. I, I think one of my favorite, like, I'm, I'm like, my, uh, let's go down the list of Derek's favorite cap kills motherfuckers moments. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think my, my favorite, and, and it's not like, I think this is like the greatest series ever or anything, but, and it's quite a dense read if anyone should ever try to read it, but there's the, what they call, I guess the, the earth x trilogy it's like earth x universe right. x, and paradise x and in that like captain america is kind of like this semi-broken man where he's kind of like bald and he's cloaked in the flag and and he's still got the shield and everything and in that the red skull is this kind of almost you know he's this wacky crazy millennial little kid that has mind powers and he he doesn't have any any morality whatsoever you know he he makes he makes people dance with his mind powers he makes people kill with his mind powers and he's got this whole army that he's controlling using this like he, he's basically like a twisted mutant kid and and you know the ultimate end to that kid is captain america you know is kind of you know hidden you know he thinks it's a like a Oh, like a wax sculpture or something but it's actually captain america just painted up to look like the sculpture and he busts out of it and snaps the kid's neck and it, you know again it's not like he's doing a jig after he does it and pissing over the kid's grave it's not like he's celebrating <laughs> like he, he he didn't he didn't want to have to snap a kid's neck but this kid was was like damien you know uh, you know like the old the old the right? you know and he had to he, it's like the, the only way to the only way to save the day was to snap this little shit's neck and and he did what he had to do and like that's that that to me is like one of my my favorite cap kills because well, it's just like this is this is this is what he would do he's a soldier like i don't yes. I, I don't have any qualms about how he handled the situation and i you know i never got into any big you know the only debates i got into over it was like of course he killed him like he's supposed to kill him like that's what he does well you know it's like i'm sitting here giggling my ass off thinking about after he decapitates baron blood instead of having him hunched over and everyone oh give him time just have him come out of the room skipping and whistling and <laughs> zippity dude on all the way it's like, well time to go back to my snoopy jewish girlfriend kids see you later. <laughs> <Woo -hoo. laughs> <laughs> zippity doo -dah. Yeah. Uh, that's good <laughs> it's like he, he's singing oklahoma songs as he like <laughs> strolls out to the fucking door <laughs> oklahoma uh, wind yeah. comes sweeping down the plane you know and then then the little epilogue you know instead of instead of the the the, the, the grand epilogue of the funeral pyre and and lord falsworth is dead we pass the torch no instead it becomes this heady little conversation between a good e good cap and evil cap on both of his shoulders you know he's well he's he's the undead it's okay steve let's see what havoc the, we can the angel cap there. is like you could have at least just hunched over and looked sad for a minute <laughs> Couldn't garlic have done the deed too? <laughs> he tried with the, the 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 evil angels, like or the evil devils, like he fucking tried the garlic. The shit didn't work. It wasn't good enough. Use a shield. Use a shield. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny that they were planning a trap for Baron Blood, but nobody thought to like put a bunch of stakes in the bed sheets or like anything like that. Instead, no, we're gonna we're gonna make Steve look like the Vestal Virgin <laughs> with his with his shield just just and how in the hell? I mean, let's let's really be honest. If you, I know that 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 under the covers you kind of don't have much of a form, but I'm pretty sure that you could see a shield over somebody's body. I mean, maybe I'd have to go back and look. Maybe he was lying on the shield. Well, but you know, you know, that, that again, I, I want to attribute to because of comics, because there have been, it's like, exactly. it's like angels wings and cap shield. Like there've been so many times, like th there was an issue we, we read of captain America on our new Thunderbolts podcast. And it's like one of those things where Cap boards a plane. And I know like the pat down rules aren't as strict back then as they were today, but you're like sitting there going, <laughs> you're sitting there going, dude, dude has a shield strapped to his back. And, and it looks like he's just wearing a regular old jacket. Like, right. You know, yeah. like, like, I, no, like, like, yeah. it's like, Oh, you don't notice the shield poking through the, like, you know, jacket. I always call bullshit on yeah. that. So it's like, it's like, that's just one of those things you, you, well, you, know, you sort of take it face value. It's like it's like that comic book silliness. It's funny, but they actually called bullshit on that. Do you remember before there was the series of Peter Porker, The Amazing Spider-Ham? There was a, a one-shot that was called Marvel Tales, and it was spelled T-A-I-L-S, right? And it was Spider-Ham and <laughs> Captain America-Cat. <laughs> and I don't remember the villain that they were facing, right? But they're, they actually, you know, Captain America had his shield strapped to his back and he had the coat over it and he's walking along with, with Peter Porker. And somebody comes over and, and, and slaps the, the Steve Rogers cat on the back <laughs> and like damn near breaks his hand going, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and I thought, thank you. Thank you. I mean, and here I was maybe six or seven when that came out. And I'm just like, thank you. Somebody finally pointed out. This is ridiculous. So I think that's what Van, I think that may have been the impetus for them switching it over to where he kept the shield in a briefcase. Yeah. Yeah. Because that that I mean, at least or, or in his his art portfolio or, or whatever, right. you, you know, then that way it's not like so it's like this is this is just my art portfolio. No, nothing to see here. I'm now boarding Which has this gotta plane. Be pretty, yeah, it's got to be pretty. It's got to be pretty awkward when he's turning in those deadline assignments stopping over at Marvel Comics. If for little little fan trivia for you kids out there, Steve Rogers penciled Captain America in the Marvel Comics universe. He did. He did. Yes, he did. In the Grenwald run, there was times where he'd be like in his Captain America battle van, traipsing across the country, and 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 he would he would sit in his van at night and work on pages for a couple hours. He was a freelance artist drawing Captain America. You, you think you think TJ could handle like doing freelance art in the back of the Captain America van, or or would you need all your creature comforts to to work on pages? I can do anything in the back of that <laughs> Captain America van. I I I I have memories of listening to the Quad M show where you were you were holed up in that a laundry stinky room trying to do oh, like Jesus. work and stuff. So I was like, you know, if he could do it there, I bet you he could do it in the back of Cap's van. So that yeah, and that wasn't that long ago either. That was only this past winter. I mean, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the cre really. I mean, what's what's the difference? You've got working in a in a hotel boardroom surrounded by lord knows what kind of bodily stains in sheets surrounding you 
or eh, the smell of motorcycle oil. Yeah, you know, it, it's 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 a it's 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 fifty fifty. It's a toss up on that one. So I think I, I was trying to remember. I think where I first read this was probably the trade paperback. Like I don't know if you've ever seen that, but there's there's a trade that collects basically all the Stern and and John Byrne issues, and it's called War and Remembrance. Yeah, and I thought I had it, and I went I went to look because I was going to use that as my 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 go back and look thing and i could have swore i had it but i don't so i actually had to to bust out the old copies to get yeah, them a I, I, I remember having that and i think at some point i went back and bought a lot of the the physical you know the original issues and everything mm -hmm. but you know that that was something that you know i i heard and recognized was a seminal seminal run where it's like oh you want to read you know a, a good captain america story like you need to check out you know the, this run and everything and and by then i think i had already been exposed to a lot of john Byrne artwork you know whether it was the you know his his man of steel revamp or the fantastic four or you know i think you know way later you know things like next men and you know his creator own stuff so you know i think right. by the time i actually checked this out i had seen a lot of his work and you know i i appreciated this as well and you know there there were friends of mine that that loved john Byrne almost as much as i did i, I i'm wondering if you know like because the, they would buy you know comics too so i may very well have have read this you know kind of borrowing or, or looking at some of their collection too, you know, this run. Cause, cause they right. would, they, I, I know I never personally bought iron fist, but because, you know, some friends love John Byrne so much, like they had a whole run of, of iron fist. So that's where I probably, you know, even, you know, heard of and looked at iron fist comics, you know, and then I think yeah. when he, he did Namor and he came back in that, you know, then that was something that I probably picked up, you know, on my own. Well, you know, I think the thing with John Byrne, I think, it's it's kind of one of those deals where I think I think you either love him or hate him. It's I don't know too many people that are kind of on the fence. You know, you either think he's an artistic genius or you think he's overrated. And I think I think he's an artistic genius who wound up spreading himself a little too thin eventually because he all of a sudden wanted to be the writer penciler artist colorist letterer i mean he wanted basically to do everything well he 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 there's some part of me that can appreciate wanting complete creative control over some of your output but i i think i have to separate the man from the work and it's like the work is good like i've always enjoyed it i was exposed to it when i was a kid i have sentimentality towards it but i think even when he does you know, modern stuff, whether it's, you know, doing like the Dr. McCoy miniseries for IDW, like sort of like you have to separate the man from the work. And I think sometimes I have a hard time doing that. Like sometimes there'll be creators that, you know, espouse beliefs or, or, or you can read interviews where they seem really arrogant or full of themselves and stuff like that. And I think I'll be willing to go for bat. I've read some things about John Byrne. Like he's probably a strange customer. Like, like right. there, there's some things yeah. about him that I've read where I was like, he's probably a pretty strange customer. But then at the same time, I'm like, I've never been personally afflicted by any of his strangeness. So I can sort of, I, I can, I can sort of sit back and, and sort of separate the work from the man and kind of go, look, you know, like I, I appreciate his good works in comics. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm, I'm sure people might say the same thing about Alex Ross or Frank Miller or, you know, like I'm sure everybody's got you know, maybe some, some 
uh, across to bear with certain creators that maybe they started out just loving because of the work they did, but then maybe delve too deep into their own, you know, personal views and, and things that they've been outspoken about. And maybe that's colored how, how you view them, you know, I guess either moving on or maybe it colors their work to you on the whole or whatever. I, I don't think anything that John Burns ever said and done have, has done that for me, but I can understand and, 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 you know, can appreciate if, if that's something that, that can happen or has happened to, to folks. So I'm not, you know, I wouldn't hold it against them or anything like that, but I don't think, uh, you know, for me, I, I, I don't think that's ever anything that I dealt with. I mean, there, there are things that I will, I will certainly shoot holes in. I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly runs of work that he's done where he thought he was being, it's kind of what I call the John Byrne clever, clever syndrome, where he thinks yes. he's being oh so clever and he's actually like sort of digging himself a deeper hole, you know? Yeah. Like, all, all you're doing is exposing yourself as a pompous ass. Well, well that and, 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 and in comics too, you know, that's, it's, it's like one of those things we always make fun of the, the cornrow cousins because it's like one, that was one of those things he was, he kept trying to tie everything into everything in Spider-Man chapter one when they were yeah. you know, supposedly rewriting the origin. And it's like, guess what? Like I've got the same hairdo as Sandman, Norman Osborn. It's like, guess what? Norman Osborn has the same hairdo as Sandman. You know why? because we're cousins and it was just like yeah that's stupid you know like yeah, it's just yeah, like they yeah. just happen to have the same hairdo who cares you know like like <laughs> it's just like there there were there were things that were sort of beyond the pale as far as him <laughs> trying to make connections where there really shouldn't be any and so like there's, there's certain examples of that but at least you can look back on like these runs and and see that you know whether whether it's you know just kind of the the configuration of you know, writer, artist, co-plotting, editors, you know, like w whatever the, the happy accidents that, that produced this work, it's like they, they, those were definitely some seminal, you know, th this run of Cap is, is like a seminal thing. I think like the, you know, the John Byrne Superman stuff is, is pretty seminal and groundbreaking for people, his FF run. And of course, like the, the uncanny, you know, Claremont burn X-Men, like that's always right. going to be a go-to for people as far as, you know, classic kind of, you know, burn type stuff. So, you know, and, and yeah, there's stuff that may have come later, you know, where you're like, oh, you know, some, some people may have, you know, some people may point to things and say, oh, he kind of lost his groove or it isn't as good as it used to be. And the only thing I'd argue is, you know, I, I think there's gems that have still come out. Like I said, that like Dr. McCoy, idw miniseries it's like leonard mccoy frontier doctor like i enjoyed that so like you know it's like it's like there they're, i'm like there's still good in him i can feel it you know like like there's still there's still good stuff but uh it, you know there there is some stuff that i will certainly you know make fun well, of and, and yeah and, 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 and don't, don't get me I'm, I'm i'm still cracking up over over norman osborne having cornrows i just that that's that's kicking my ass over here but it's it, I, I think the only knock that i have i mean I, I was never really a fan of his later work i think his his later work looked too much like marie severin's artwork but that's i mean that's a that's just personal taste on that but the one the only real knock I'll ever have on John Byrne is I've never really liked the way he drew women. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I I felt like, you know, 
well, I'm not going to go that far, but I, I kind of feel like I'm like, dude, She-Hulk. I'm like, She-Hulk made me a man. No, but, <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, dude, like th th things like that, where I, I, I kind of always thought that he, I mean, I can see he, he had a way of drawing different types of women where, you know, he had his like young kitty pride where the, 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 the visual wasn't overly sexualized. And I think some of his characters in Next Men were, were, were that way as well. But I think when he had to draw like some, you know, it's like a Miss Marvel or a, a She-Hulk or, or things like that. I was never, you know, I, I don't know, but I just, I'm, I'm curious I just to think hear. They always, yeah. I, I just think they always looked like the same to me. Like Jack Kirby's women always had the, the real strong job, but they always looked the same to me. And I guess I just fall more in line with that era's artist, I guess just being overexposed to guys like John Buscema or, you know, Gene Colan or, I mean, hell, even... Uh, I, mean, I, uh, I, guess, I guess you could kind of say that of his male characters, too. Like, John Byrne has his stock, good-looking male face and his stock, good-looking female face. I guess if that's what you're you're kind of getting at. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I kind of go, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. But I think, you know, and I, I guess I guess there was enough differentiation between the way, like, say, Wolverine looked versus right, Nightcrawler right. versus as opposed to the Aryan Avengers where... Cap, you know, Captain America, Hawkeye, Hank Pym. I think pretty much everybody except for Tony Stark was six foot blonde and blue eyed. Right, right, right. So it just made it a very easy day for, you know, it made it an it's easy like, day for John it, Byrne it, on that it, it's one. It's like when Steve Rogers, Hank Pym, and Clint Barton all go out in their civilian clothes. It's like all the Ninja Turtles going out without their masks on. And you're like, who the <laughs> fuck are you? I don't know. It's, I don't know, it's man. It's the Avenger triplets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, but at the at the end of the day, this is, going 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 back to the original point of topic with the Baron Blood story, I, I do liken it as probably one of, I would say probably one of my top three Captain America stories story arcs and that type of thing because i like the johnny walker story arc is 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 arguably my favorite that, that's of, that's mine um, yeah of, of the cap run i released that initial early cap run but when we talked about it, it was like 18 issues long can we really cover all that in one short period of time you know that type of thing and then you know so so with that one being aside you know that barren blood that two-parter with barren blood is probably going to be either my number two number three and i think a lot of it is the nostalgia sentimentality because it was one of the first comics that i had gotten as a kid you know and you know that type of thing and 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 and, and, and really it's it's really great being exposed to john burnt art and roger stern storytelling at that young of an age it sets the bar very very high as a comic book fan yeah you're not you're not willing to accept things that are sort of beneath a certain standard and, and you got exposed to some really quality classy comic book storytelling early on like that's it, it's one of those things where you, you, you know some people might be jealous you know where you're like oh cool you're you know one of your earliest childhood comics you're you know to me i think even though you got them from a gas station and it wasn't from a, an official spinner act to me like for my the purposes of my rules, I'm like those qualify. You know, like any, to me, well, yeah. anything anything you didn't get from a a genuine specialty comic book shop like qualifies, and and uh, it's one of those things where you're like, hey, you know, you really, you know, you really got some. It, it, 
I, I guess the, the simple, simplest way to put it is you may have a strong sense of nostalgia for these comics, but the these comics in particular are beyond your nostalgia. Like they're they're good in and of themselves and have withstood the test of time. So it's not right. you, your nostalgia is not the only thing keeping these aloft on your little pedestal. It's like there are there are other reasons why you should hold these particular comics aloft on a pedestal other than just nostalgia. Whereas I, I know I have some comics that I love and and I, I would be willing to admit like this is only because of my nostalgia, not because it's this, you know, classic or seminal, you know, yeah, run. it's 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 not a it's not a Wizard World top fifty must read. It's because it holds a special place. Yeah, it's like it's for like, me like, personally. You know, you're, you're saying, oh, you know, you you mentioned your aunt, and I think of the same thing. It's like one of those things where you're like, oh, my aunt bought me this. I was I was sitting on the floor eating, you know, yogurt covered raisinets when I read this, or you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, like th- things like that, like where you you have these all these sense memories and and things that come flooding back to you, and it's like, well, what's the comic? This crappy Jack of Hearts miniseries that. <laughs> I hate the character, you know, but it's like I still have I, I have tons of nostalgia for Jack of Hearts, but I think I think he's a extremely shitty character and I don't like the miniseries, but it's like I still have a lot of nostalgia for it, but nobody's going to, you know, th- there's not going to be a CBR list of like the top 100 graphic novels, Jack of Hearts. It's like there's no way, you know, like so. But yeah, this, you're... I think, I think when people come <laughs> up with their, you know, top list of, of Cap stories, I think I think something from the Stern and burn run is definitely going to find its way to that list and and i think i think like yourself a lot more people are going to lean towards 250 you know the cap for president issue just because it it's one of the most asinine concepts that you could think of let's let's have a man in a mask who is a symbol run for president when you have no idea what his 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 political um uh what, what's the word i'm looking for platform Actually, yeah well platform uh expertise you know i mean has, has you know what has he has he ever even gone to a town hall meeting ever you know has he ever been a part of a of a besides the adventures like has he ever you know been a been part of a committee who is this guy we know literally nothing about him whereas you know, shit, look back in the day, everyone talks about how, you know, back in the 50s, Adelaide Stevenson, well, he didn't become president because he was divorced. And so we're supposed to think the captain. But, but here again, this goes back to because comics. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like they, they, they had that one. Uh, I remember that one Armageddon 2001 annual where they they tried to make Superman the president. And then the whole argument was going to be, well, he's you know, strictly speaking, he's, he's an alien. He's from Krypton. So he's not a native born American. He's not not a native American citizen. You know, right. (laughs) And, and, and you're like, you're like, oh, and then how they got around that, which, which I found was like hilarious was they, they decided that the ship in the John Byrne version that brought him to earth was not only a spaceship, but a quote unquote birthing matrix so thus, yeah. when the ship opened, Superman was quote unquote born in Kansas, you know, like, and that's how they they got around that. But it's like, again, it's it, it's like one of those things. The the more you delve into the real world, the the less you 
you know th th that's why i think that's that's always touting that fine line it's like it's like i think in the 80s you know especially the mid 80s you know watchmen and dark knight returns and things like that it's like the, it skirted the edge and everybody thought it was super cool but then when it sort of got into overdrive and everybody amped that to 11 you could poke a lot of holes more more so than you could before because you're more forgiving of the the suitcases and and wearing shields on your back when it's a little more silver agey and and flippant whereas when when you're you know dealing with you know oh, i'm going through uh hyper levels of security and and you know engaging and it's like you know well how did you sneak your shield it's under my belt you know like it's like it right right you know, it doesn't doesn't always line up or whatever pim particles we just shrunk it down see that and that, see, that would be a decent you know no prize i, I put this shield in my belt buckle with pin particles and then it looks like a belt buckle. Yeah. God bless America. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I think we'll we'll end it here for the talk on Captain America and we're going to take a quick break. We're going to play some commercial promos from some of TJ's works and and endeavors and then when we come back we're going to be discussing ROM Space Knight annual one in the second half of the show so stay tuned hi this is tj damon with quad m productions and co-host of the quad m show the quad m show is a somewhat live and semi-weekly comedic podcast where your host tj damon i'm not very i'm not i'm not i'm not, I'm not, I'm not. jason vickers i let all the air out of my tires so they don't go flat and jesse barnett i think i even accidentally listened to the show this last week bring you their takes on current pop culture and geek world news show features include the fgs award highlighting the pinnacle of human stupidity for this week and reddit fun with jason where your hosts compare their opinions with the hive mind known as reddit there take a listen my biggest problem with the movie industry as it sits now is that the trailers that they are putting out give everything away batman and superman are gonna duke it out then along comes a stronger foe they're gonna have to team up along comes wonder woman so you've already ruined that surprise for everybody <laughs> now we're gonna have gail godot's wonder woman coming in to save the day and when wonder woman and superman are there what's batman got to do <laughs> you got this handle i'm gonna go work on my marriage with jennifer carter <laughs> new episodes drop mondays at 12 noon eastern check us out at www.quadmproductions.com in a city where corruption rules the streets only one man can stop the serial killer known as the blood bandit James Kurt, a former police officer turned private investigator, must race against the clock to stop the madman before he achieves his ultimate diabolical goal. When JK's brother Alex is thought killed in the line of duty and mysteriously returns with no memory of his past life, the stakes are raised even higher. Enigma, the comic book series from Quiet Productions, written and illustrated by TJ Damon, with colors and effects by Jason Vickers. Enigma. Order your copy at quadimproductions.com today. Alright, welcome back. And as promised in the second half of the show, we are here with TJ and we're going to discuss ROM, annual number one. Of course, this is another great Marvel comic. Its cover date is 1982 and the on-sale date was in July of 1982. It is a 
king-sized annual with the whopping cover <laughs> price of $1.48 pages. Its title is, it came from, well, the first story anyway, is the title is, It Came From Beyond the Stars, and it is written by Bill Mantlo and features pencils by the great Pat Broderick. <laughs> and we will go into the synopsis as follows. A cosmic entity known as Turin Ga'ar, or Stardust, is expelled from the being known as the Body. Banished in the cold of space, Stardust comes across the planet Earth in his travels. Specifically, it finds a group of kids playing baseball in the town of Carson's Glen. Without a body of his own, Stardust absorbs the life forces of the children to create a new body for himself. Later that evening, Rom observes a group of concerned parents and the local sheriff searching for the missing children. Even though his energy analyzer does not detect any shape-shifting dire wraith, his evil foes from the Dark Nebula, among the search party below, he does find an energy trail that leads to the now cold bodies of the children. Not dead, but in serious critical condition after Stardust has tampered with their very molecular structure. Confronted by the search party, after exiting the cave where he found the missing children, several dire wraith, now hidden from even Rom's energy analyzer by jamming belts, stir up a riot against the Space Knight. As one of the wraith leaves the riot by shifting into a bat, it is consumed by Stardust, who hungers for more life energy. Stardust tracks down more Wraith at the local power station, who abandon their human disguises and attempt to attack the cosmic vampire. All are absorbed, save the one Wraith, who took the form of a rodent to escape Stardust's absorption wave. As Stardust tears apart the power plant to find the sole Wraith who has eluded him, the primary jamming device is destroyed. Between the jammer's destruction and the attack from a quote-unquote human with a sonic disruptor, Rom is able to detect the wraiths that are among the search party. He quickly dispatches them to Limbo using his neutralizer. After swatting away the local sheriff, Rom heads to the center of town to find the fleeing quote-unquote rodent wraith, now in human form, begging to be sent to Limbo rather than suffer being consumed by stardust. Rom obliges him and then proceeds to confront the entity himself. Upon coming face to face with Stardust, Rom asks that he return the life energies of the children now that he has satiated himself with the life energy of many dire wraiths. Stardust refuses and names Rom as his enemy. The two engage in a fierce battle, and when Rom uses his neutralizer on Stardust, it only helps his foe to be released from Star Stuff Bonds, which the body had imposed as a power dampener. Realizing his grave error, Rom manages to take the Star Stuff Belt to wield against Stardust. This causes Stardust to implode, and Rom has now drawn all his powers and energies into the belt he now wears. The Space Knight heads to the Carson Glen Church to restore the life energies to the children Stardust had accosted earlier. The Space Knight goes to Carson Glen where he is fired upon by the townspeople as he enters the church. Now healed, the townspeople finally trust Rom to send the Star Stuff bonds containing Stardust back into the depths of space from whence it came. His mission against the Dire Wraith still ongoing, Rom returns to Earth and destroys the Wraith jamming equipment by slamming into a runaway van. Finally, Rom banishes the remaining Dire Wraith to Limbo. 
And that is the end of the primary story in the annual. There's actually a short six-page backup story titled Traitor, which is written by Stephen Grant and has pencils from Greg LaRoque. And the backup story is set 200,000 years in Rom's past as a Space Knight of Galador. It starts with Rom being summoned by a distress call from a fellow Space Knight called Gloriole. He finds Gloriole being held captive by the Dire Wraiths. When Rom manages to release his fellow Space Knight from captivity, he is thanked with an energy blast to his backside and passes out. When Rom awakens, it is revealed that Gloriole is a renegade Space Knight working with the Dire Wraiths in order to get access to their knowledge of sorcery. Gloriole's motives remain the defense of Galador, but they will come at the cost of Rom's life and Gloriole's very humanity. When the Wraiths tell Gloriole that they intend to take Rom to the Dark Nebula for study and entertainment, the renegade Space Knight returns to his senses. He frees Rom only to be shot down by his former Wraith allies. Rom then does his duty and banishes the Wraith to Limbo using his neutralizer. Racked with regret in his last dying moments, Gloriole is reassured by Rom that no one will learn of his dark turn. Gloriole finally dies, and Rom buries his fellow Space Knight with a marker in flames on a distant asteroid. And that concludes the synopses of the two stories in Rom's king-sized Annual One. So again, is this is this something you got from the gas station, TJ? Like, is this kind of like a? If I remember correctly, it would have been it would have been off of a spinner rack at the local Super America. When when that gas station was still floating around and was a thing way back in the day. So I'm pretty sure that one was a spinner rack purchase. Cool, cool. And then I, I guess I have to ask, because for me personally, I, I've been reading up on ROM since you've told me this was a book you may want to discuss. And at the time, right. I wasn't sure exactly <laughs> what we'd be discussing. And, you know, I, I think it's been, you know, a couple months now. But even, you know, last year, I was I started reading ROM and read maybe the first dozen or so issues. And then, you know, when we finally settled on discussing this particular annual, I tried to, uh, at, at this point in my, my, I guess, my reading project of ROM, you know, I, I caught up to, I guess, when this annual takes place so now i've read the first 35 issues of rom and annual one which i have really enjoyed so thank you for that um but <laughs> i guess this is just one of those things that sort of fell under my radar so was this like the first time you'd you'd ever read rom like kind of like what's your exposure to rom was it the parker brothers toy was it the comic like what sort of made you decide to grab this off the spinner rack i th if if memory serves i had known that I mean, I in in the comic book collecting, I was always aware of it. And again, this goes back to what we had talked about earlier, and the fact that you can have however many titles Marvel was putting out in 1980, 81. The odds of your local area actually having that issue was always going to be hit or miss because the distributors just through the book, you know, through the comics in boxes and shipped them out. So it wasn't, there was no guarantee that if you picked up this issue, you would be able to get the following issue. So it was very sporadic. And I'm, I'm going to say that the first, the first time I had seen Rob was in those old Marvel in-house ads. 
And if I, if memory serves, maybe it was a Michael Golden ad where, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but you know, like it, it just showed the comet coming down to planet side. Oh, that, and then it seems like emerging that, from the wreckage is ROM and it was ROM space night monthly from Marvel. Yeah. I think that was like that. I think, I think they, they almost pulled that straight from the first issue too, like that ad. Cause I think there was a similar, I don't know if it was the same sequence that Sal Basima drew or, or if it was something that Michael Golden drew, but like, I do specifically remember like doing my read through and then noticing that ad, I think the ad was pretty similar to a sequence that was in the first issue of, of Rom. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I mean, so, you know, you know, the ad that I'm talking about. And so that was always kind of like the exposure. It was one of those deals where I'm just like, that looks pretty fucking badass. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we not? Because this is before the days of the direct market. You know, the direct market wasn't really coming out for like maybe another four or five years. It was kind of one of those deals where you get the comics that are available to you and you'll like it and and that's it. Unless, of course, you subscribe. And I believe the first ROM issue that I picked up probably was number 25, where it was like him versus Terminator, the oh, evil okay. ROM. Okay, so it was ROM, you know, ROM against ROM. ROM against ROM. You know, and, you know, at least they went and called him something cool like Terminator as opposed to just flipping his name backwards, ROM versus more, or you know, something stupid like that. And then if if memory serves, I believe that I picked up well, I, I say picked up. I'm I'm five you know, like five years old, like I'm out spending my paycheck doing this. (laughs) But I believe that the purchase had been made at the same time. I'm going to say that I picked up all three annuals at the same time. It would have been ROM annual number one, Star Wars annual number two, which had, which had, you know, Han Solo with a chick in his arm and then floating priests on either side. And then X-Men Annual number 7, which was the Bill Sienkiewicz Dracula Annual. I think I picked all three of those up at the same time because there was a there was a road trip that was going on. And that, uh, that was the great thing back in the days. Comics were used as pacifiers. You know, shut the kid up for the road trip. King-sized annuals, three of them. Let's hit the road. TJ's good to go. And, and so I'm pretty sure that's when I picked that one up. As memory serves now, of course, over time, you read comics... Not as a collector, but as a comic book lover, you will read, read, and reread comic yeah. books until literally yeah. the cover falls off. Yeah. So the copy of Raw Manual number one that I have doesn't have a cover because it got worn it got worn away through multiple readings. And really, I think the thing that really stood out for me in that book, and I, I know I kind of laugh when you said legendary artist Patrick Broad Broderick, I think his name was. I don't know that I've ever seen any of his other artwork anywhere else. Oh, really? Okay. Because cause I, I think that to me, the reason why he's he's a big deal to me is is mainly because of Firestorm. Like, I love Firestorm, and he did, oh, he did all the, okay, the early okay, yeah. issues of the Fury of Firestorm. And then, and then beyond that, I think, like, one of my early Spinner Rat comics, and it's it, this is probably one of those that is not going to be on any you know, AFI top 100 list of comics or anything, but I really, <laughs> I really have a strong sense of nostalgia and adore the series is I'm a big fan of Captain Adam. And, and one of the first Captain Adam comics I picked up was around the time of the invasion crossover. 
Okay. Which was like issue okay. 25. And Pat Broderick, after he ended his run on Firestorm, the, the thing I can think of that he had the most lengthy run on after that was Captain Adam. And I think okay. it, it seems like he, like I was looking at it and it seems like he, he does a, some DC books. He does a lot of Marvel stuff. Like he, he did that ROM annual right around the same time he was starting Fury of Firestorm and kind of transitioning over to DC on a more permanent basis and i think okay. one of the other series which is much like rom in that i virtually have no exposure to it and i hear tons of great things about it is micronauts and i think pat broderick also had a lengthy run on the micronauts as well but i've never okay. you know micronauts and rom to me are sort of cut from the same cloth and that i've heard the toy about them a lot and and they were licensed properties for marvel but it was never I, I guess, I mean, I, I don't want to say this in a, like, negative way, but it's just, like, somehow, like, that license, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't, I, I kind of feel like I was almost too young, or I just, it, it was a license that sort of missed me somehow like i mean i was alive well, but but yeah. i just well, i mean it the... was just one of those things where i guess you know maybe my focus was you know star wars and he-man and transformers and gi joe and those licenses were the ones that that hit me and i read as a young kid and i think well, i think maybe by the time i was really heavily into collecting comics the the toy lines and the 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 marketing barrage for Micronauts and ROM must have died down by that point. Cause I don't think I ever really, I, I never found them like, or, or not, you know, I wasn't really looking for them to find, I guess. If that makes well, any and sense. like, yeah, I mean like ROM as a toy came out in 79 and it was just that ROM with like, I think five points of articulation. Yeah. Yeah. It was some kind of battery. LED. Yeah. Battery operated toy. And it, as far as I know, like, I, I mean, I don't know to me, I was like, uh, I like, I like, I'm like, I remember 2XL. I don't, I don't remember wrong. <laughs> far, far away in another galaxy, the Knights of the Soul Star Order, defenders of justice and truth, have been ambushed by the evil magicians, the Diaries. The Soul Star Order has prevailed and are now seeking out their scattered enemies. One of these knights has followed the trail of the Diorates all the way to Earth. This one the Diorates fear more than all others. This one has hounded them and kept them underground for centuries. This one alone could wipe them off the face of creation. He is Rom, Lord of the Soul Star Order. Rom, the Wraith Slayer. Rom, the Space Knight. Even he must be careful. The diaries can assume any form they wish. Rum counters this with the energy analyzer. With it, he can see through appearances and determine the true essence of any being. Rum also has a weapon unique to his order, the neutralizer, which can disorganize any molecular structure. He has rocket pods, which can instantly send him soaring. He has a translator through which he can communicate with any intelligent being in the universe. And his respirator allows him to breathe in any atmosphere. Rom, Lord of the Soul Star Order. Rom, the Wraith Slayer. Rom, the Space Knight. A microelectronic creation from Parker Brothers. Right, and and I think I think the key thing, like there, I mean, and you and you speak on this. I think what it boils down to is that 
the marketing tie-in far succeeded the toy line mm -hmm. when it comes to things like ROM and Micronauts. People generally remember ROM and the Micronauts more so for the run with Marvel than they do for, for the toys. The, the, the toys themselves, yeah. No, that's true. And 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 much to the dismay of probably a lot of us old school comic guys that don't really have the funds to go out and buy a shit ton of back issues, we'll go and get those Marvel essentials, you know, or or those trade paperbacks, and there's going to be issues missing because Marvel, in their infinite wisdom, didn't do anything to try to a make the license a permanent license, you know, that they will kept you know kept in perpetuity or when they were doing the bankruptcy sold all of those licenses off because you look back how many books was rom tied into oh yeah yeah guest appearances with you know with whether it was spider-man or power man and iron fist or x-men or any of that there's there's issues that will always be missing from these collections because they don't have the license to reprint them right and that's well that's one of those interesting things where like it seemed like things like G.I. Joe and Transformers were at their start intended to be like ROM was, like really integral to the Marvel Universe and an actual part of it, you know, with like the, the guest appearance from Spider-Man. But it seems like the further they got into the stories, the more they made those licenses have their own independent universe of Marvel. And in the long right. run, then, you know, when, when they reprint all these it's funny when they reprint the Transformers trades, it's like oftentimes they'll come to issue three and it's just a blurb where they can't reprint yeah. the issue and they'll just say, oh, and then this mysterious bug man assisted the Transformers and now <laughs> right. here's issue four, you know, and stuff like that because they, they can't reprint it without Marvel's permission and stuff like that. And and what right. I was about to say was part of my thanking you for rereading or I guess reading those issues of ROM for the first time, like it's actually answered some questions or, or opened my eyes to certain things. Cause I didn't uh -huh. like, there, there was a period where on um, way back in the day on the proper show, we used to do these things called fan holes dares where we would, you know, everybody would dare somebody to, you know, watch a movie, read a comic, whatever. And one of the things I was dared was to read the original Nova run, the original Richard Ryder Nova series. And I got okay. into it. You know, I ended up reading like all 27 issues. And then I was trying to figure out because I knew him mainly from New Warriors when I was reading comics in the 90s. And so right. that's where I knew the Nova character from. And I had read a lot of the modern books, you know, like around the time of you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy, Annihilation, and all that stuff. So I was I was keen on the character, but I had never read his original run. And so I read that, and then I, I sort of got into it so much that I was like, oh, well, where does Nova's story go after this? Like, how does he get to the point he gets to in New Warriors, where he's this quote-unquote powerless kid that Night Thrasher drops off the top of a roof, and then he miraculously, like, his adrenaline kicks in and his powers come back to him before right. he, he, he goes, goes, he goes splat, for a second you know? Nova yeah. puberty. And, yeah. and, and so, <laughs> so I was like, how, how does it go from, from the end of, you know, that the first Nova series to, to this series in new warriors. And like, I, I knew his story continued in fantastic four and I read that and there's this cool storyline where they all fight the Sphinx and he's got his own team that he works with the new champions. And so I was like, Oh, okay. But I never quite figured out like 
I was like, when does he lose his powers? Like, and, and I never thought it was explained. And then I think it was like ROM 24 in, in that run that I was reading. And I was like, uh -huh. oh, like this is, th that's where it happens is in ROM. Cause he, by the end of it, <laughs> him and ROM team up, they save the day from the scrolls. And then by the end of it, they're like, all right, you know, you want to go back to earth? Well, you know, your Xandarian powers must remain on Xandar, you know, and, and then he gets sent home powerless. And I'm like, oh, like it all sort of clicked. And I was like, oh, they, they did address this. They didn't just forget, you know, they didn't just make it up that he had no powers at the beginning of New Warriors. It was actually tied into Rom. And then and then the other thing that I thought was interesting, which wasn't anything I ever dwelt on or anything, but there's that two issues where the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants show up and Rogue is with them. And mm -hmm. there's that moment where she tries to to kiss, you know, the the metallic rom and everything, and and they kind of make a point to say, you know, Rogue was kind of a, a nasty little bitch who beat up the Avengers before that point, but when she kissed Rom, not only did she get some of his powers, maybe, but some of his character rubbed off, yeah, you know, like his nobility rubbed off on her and it was like after that point in the issue she's like i'm so concerned about rom i hope rom's okay i hope i see rom again <laughs> and it was like one of those things where i was like oh shit like maybe that's why like because to, to me it was always like i remember reading avengers 10 and then all of a sudden she joined the x-men and it was like we should feel you know we should feel sorry for rogue let's make her a member of the x-men and it's like right. why why professor x like she's beating you up you know like i didn't get it and now i'm kind of like oh well that, that there there was a little more of a growth there than i i had ever realized and i was like it was in rom of all you know you're like oh it was in a licensed <laughs> tie-in comic book of all places it's like it's so it's kind of strange you know that you're like you're like i was totally missing out like this is this is a fun series and then there's a lot of a, a lot of sort of interesting character moments for other other denizens of the marvel universe which i found kind of cool well you know and the and the other thing i mean you know looking back on on rom in general it was one of those series that because it was not it was it was it was tied in with the Marvel Universe. So, yeah, OK, a decade, two decades later, it makes it very difficult for reprints and that type of thing. But there was a lot of creative freedom that was allowed when you have certain, you know, series that are out there. You're never going to see anybody ever actually kill Rick Jones. He, you know, the, the a staple supporting character. In ROM, you were never guaranteed who was going to survive. Yeah, when that, when, I think when they, they they introduced one supporting character who I think was this reporter girl named Ace, and mm -hmm. and then and then there's the the guy Steve who's like the the boyfriend of um, I'm trying to think of her name the the main was it Brandy Clark yeah Brandy Clark's boyfriend right yeah. and so he's captured by the dire wraith and it's like that that reporter woman Ace is like okay make a run for it dude like I'll 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 help you out and this and that and he's like I'm not gonna leave you behind like I ain't leaving nobody behind and he's like but you've got to it's your only chance and he's like oh okay and he he goes and runs off and then in the background you hear like this it's like the blood curdling scream and it's like oh shit Die! like she's, she's dead <laughs> like she's not coming back and i was like whoa yeah. like that's or yeah i don't know i can't remember specifically what issue it's in it might be a little further down the road so i don't want to spoil things for you no no that's okay this is like what but is this like a uh, we're talking about 30 year old four, comic, 40 year yeah. old comic book it's a, it's okay <laughs> it's totally fine what, what was named brock jones who was the the torpedo oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like like that you know what's funny about that already spoiled for me 
Cause, cause oh, I was okay. like, I was sitting there, like it was funny, cause I, I got to the point where the torpedo is taking over as, as Rom's replacement to, to defend the city and everything, to defend uh-huh. West Virginia in his absence when he goes into space and fights with Galactus and all that stuff. And so mm-hmm. I was sitting there going, man, that torpedo guy looks familiar to me. And I'm like, wasn't he a new warrior? And I'm just trying to like, like refresh my memory and go am i am i imagining that or was he a new warrior because i'm like i could swear this guy was a new warrior but i don't think his name was torpedo and so when i look him up it's like i'm sitting there going and it says oh eventually he goes by the name you know whatever and and is is you know there's some other character who takes on the suit and is a member of the new warriors and i'm like oh that's where i remembered it from but like in the first three lines of i think his wikipedia entry it's like you know torpedo like and then he gets killed and i was like oh and then he's i'm like by the dire rates <laughs> and i was sitting there i know it's like 40 years old but i was like thanks wikipedia for the spoilers <laughs> you know because like, i didn't know he died thanks for the spoiler there big mouth so it's totally cool but yeah and, but that, that and here again that that was one of the unique things about rom was that aside from rom because you know he's 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 the main character his name's in the title of course he's gonna live Nobody, nobody else, you figured, nobody else was safe from the dire race. Any one of these other subsidiary characters could die. And that, I thought, brought a little bit more of a, an immediacy, an urgency to, to the title and the story, if written well. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like there was a lot of, there was always a lot of urgency to it. And, and I think they did a fine line of like, you know, one thing that always drove me crazy about the Marvel licensed comics, because I was such a, I was such a devotee of the Sunbow Transformers cartoon, and on that cartoon, uh-huh. the human beings seemed to know, like, the Autobots are the good guys, and the Decepticons are the bad guys, and there wasn't this kind of conflict like they had, you know, it's definitely more dramatic in the, the Marvel comic, where the humans don't always know, like, well, what's a, what's the good robot? What's the bad robot? And sometimes humanity, you know, kind of like the X-Men, kind of like Rom, you know, they're hated and feared, even though they're the good guy. You know, it creates this kind of, you know, automatic drama and conflict in the story. So I, I can appreciate that as an older reader now. But as a little kid, it used to drive me crazy. Like, why don't you know that they're the good guys? You know, and, and I would yeah. I would get all upset. And I, I think this book, I think, touts that line because it seems like in the first couple of years yeah you know the 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 townspeople are afraid of rom and they don't quite understand him and they think he's killing human beings and not banishing the dire wraith to limbo but you know right. somewhere along the story you know the tides turn and eventually most of the townspeople you know to use the parlance of the the kids these days most of the townspeople get quote unquote woke to the dire wraith you know and 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 they're they're like oh the, the, there are people trying to take over the earth and and shape-shifting as humans and in these high positions of political power and authority that are manipulating our lives and everything and and rom's not just blowing smoke up our ass and and by a certain point it's like you know the townspeople are like uh, happy days or some shit and rom comes in and he's like hey and then yeah. like all the townspeople are like rom hey you know and everything's cool so t- to me it's like they they had their moment with the pathos and you know the world at large hating rom but then they also had some moments where he's he's accepted and and taken in as almost a member of the family so i felt like they didn't they didn't play that part of the story out, but they got to have their cake and eat it too, where they, they had both those 
avenues of of storytelling in terms of of rom so I, I i think i did enjoy that as well and going back to rom manual one you know here again that was very prevalent in the townspeople when rom goes to the cave and finds the the lifeless or the not the lifeless but the bodies the children's bodies sans life energy yeah yeah i guess because I guess you can't kill kids in, a, no, in the comic no. uh, code approved era it kind of reminds me of when they had carnage on the the fox kids spider band show because it was like oh they, god yes. they, it's like they couldn't have carnage kill people he was he was stealing their life essence for for baron mordo or something like right. that you know or, so. or like morbius wasn't sucking blood he was getting plasma i want yeah. the plasma yeah i need more plasma yeah. yeah yeah but you know one of those key things was the townspeople see this giant robot care bringing out their kids and what have you done to our kids i did nothing i am rom i am here to help and then those wacky dire wraiths decide to prey upon the paranoia and start throwing rocks. And next thing you know, it's like Frankenstein being chased off by the the villagers with, you know, torches and pitchforks. And it's, you know, it's funny because like I said, I hadn't realized. And I, I, I know I'm, I'm going back to the, the whole ROM annual one thing here. I, I, I hadn't realized Patrick Broderick's artwork because I was never I, I it wasn't that I wasn't like a DC guy. I just wasn't collecting DC very much i was always lent, lent more towards the marvel era side of stuff so that's probably where i missed a lot of the firestorm and captain adam and all that i when i was going back and i was rereading it i was amazed at how much his work was very very similar at least in this issue very similar to michael golden's i thought so i thought that's kind of where at least on my end i wouldn't say a poor man's michael golden but there i felt a lot of similarities there one of my biggest problems with this book, going back and rereading The Plight of Turin Gar, uh, <laughs> I like Bill Mantlow's writing. I, I genuinely do. Like his run on, on Incredible Hulk, I thought was was always great as a kid growing up. But there was just a lot of goofy shit going on in this comic. To start off with, we're not going to call these the golden bands, the golden bonds, the restraints. Yeah, there's star stuff. We're going to call them star stuff. <laughs> I, I had some trouble oh. saying star stuff. So I, can I have some I have some trouble just accepting the <laughs> fact that we're just OK with calling something star stuff. Mm. Why? Because, again, it's comics, kids. Just go with it. Star stuff. OK, so Turin Garin is bands of star stuff hit upon the small little hamlet with these kids playing softball it honestly when i was reading the dialogue on it it felt like they were like it felt like it was the newsboy legion from the 40s playing baseball <laughs> look up in the sky butch it looks like a comic ah pinky it made me screw up i could have gotten that ball i mean pinky and butch that instead of calling it it came from the stars it should have been the wacky adventures of pinky and butch I think those are characters that we could have expounded upon much, much later. Wait, you, like didn't, those you, didn't, you didn't read the spinoff miniseries of Pinky and Butch that Pinky short, and Butch. Shortly, <laughs> shortly followed this? I was like, it was right after the Rocket Raccoon miniseries. It was Bill Matlow's. <laughs> deep, you know, it was it was his highlight. His they were they were the they ones were running studs. the asylum. Yeah, yeah, they were the ones running the asylum that uh, that Rocket was in. <laughs> Pinky and Butch, and then I get for life, I can't remember the little girl's name, like Julia or something like that, if I 
harken back. I see what I see what you're saying because it's like when the star stuff lands, like one of them's like, "Holy cats!" You know, it's good. Like, look, look it's at like, the, look up in the sky. It's a comet. It's like no, Pinky, no, look up there. No, no kid in 1980 was like, "Holy cats!" Butch, I'm gonna moitalize you. That's why I was <laughs> shaking his fist, and I'm gonna moitalize you. You know, and and yeah, but but here again. You turn that page, you get to the goofy, but then you get to that artwork where when when uh, Stardust is is sapping the, the the life energy, those panels are actually pretty eerie when you're when you're actually looking at them. I thought I thought it it, it definitely set a, a creepy tone and a creepy vibe to me. And now I don't know, were you ever a professional wrestling fan? I I, I probably would say no, but I, I we. You know, I think the people on the show, like like Tony specifically, and and I think Justin to a degree, were bigger fans than I was when we when we did a wrestling episode. Uh, you know, my my tendency is to fall back on like I I love the rock and wrestling cartoon, like like okay. so that's that's sort of my era of wrestling. And then and then beyond that, I think I I somehow stumbled into watching when when cactus jack was an ongoing concern and like i okay. just i totally okay. fell in love with like the 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 small amount of matches i saw with him i sort of fell in love with him and then based on that like i think you know after that people were like oh well if you like cactus jack you know you got to check out mankind and you got to check out you know like the, you know and and so i that that kind of dovetailed into you know we ended up reading like undertaker comics one halloween and all this kind of oh, stuff so there there i'm familiar <laughs> you know i i understand certain things but i'm not i'm not super proficient in the fandom i guess well the the reason i ask is if if you have if you have the chance when you have the time go on youtube and just type in gold dust wwf oh, promos oh gold dust yeah yeah, yeah. cuz cuz he the, the reason why I think I know about him was because I, I think he was supposed to fight, like, or he did fight Stephen Amell or whatever in one of those, like, Smackdowns or something. I, I have no idea. I, think I, so. I haven't caught up. I haven't, I haven't paid attention to the wrestling industry in the last no, 10 I'm pretty, years. I'm pretty sure I'm right because I was, I, I remember thinking to myself, oh, I need to, I was thinking about history of comics on film and I'm like, oh, I need to get a copy of that at some point. Because I'm sure there's some kind of clip in there where Stephen Amell is like challenging Stardust or Goldust or wh whichever one it was, you know, to right. like have a showdown. Because because I think the whole you know story was they were talking smack to each other and it was supposed to be like, well, you're just a dumb actor who plays like a superhero on TV, like you can't wrestle me. And then like then he ended up coming down and they actually had a match at like SmackDown. I don't know, 2016, 2017, one of those, you know, like some big right. event. And so I was like, oh, at some point I need to get a copy of that and, and just file it away for, for potential <laughs> future shenanigans. Yeah. When Arrow comes up. But yeah, no, it's because it's every time I'm, every time they, they, he mentions his name and calls himself, all I'm doing is just sitting there thinking of, 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 of the, the wrestler. old okay. promos from 96 when he's going, gold dust so of course i'm every time i'm sitting there reading i'm like stardust and i'm like yeah you know i just it kept going all the time and i know like his it, dustin rhodes's little brother cody rhodes eventually became the character of stardust but that was well after i tuned out of the wrestling industry so but but yeah no so every time i'm sitting there thinking 
I got star stuff and then I've got gold dust in my maze here. It was it was very it was a very cacophonic experience going back and rereading this book. But I thought story wise, I mean, it, it paced itself well. I mean, it's it's generic fare, you know. I did like the fact that the tire rate comes back, gets out of his, gets out of his little road thing and says, "I will take limbo versus dying this horrible death." And Rom says, "All right, glad to oblige like, you. All right, no problem. We can take care of that." And then he shows up at the power plant. Yeah, thanks for uh, you know whooping all that dire rate's ass, but uh, now it's time for me to now it's time for me to fuck his shit up. You know, it, it, it just it's it was very you know paint by numbers, but it was entertaining. It was a very entertaining paint by numbers going on down the line with it i i was just gonna say i think it's funny that like bill mantlo is the type of guy like i don't know it's weird it, it, there there are runs of his he's he was very prolific he he wrote a lot of comics i've heard certain things where people have criticized him for because he was so prolific he was probably one of those writers that was always constantly sort of borrowing and retooling other stories and 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 maybe you know quote unquote swiping certain you know uh, tropes and themes just to sort of continually write the the prolific amount of work that he's done yeah and just and, to keep a job and meet yeah, a just to yeah. meet the deadline and do the thing and not, not anything necessarily nefarious but a bit i mean i've heard those those criticisms before but i mean i've read you know the Hulk run you're talking about and and even in reading this like i guess my thought is it, it's interesting to me how i i feel like there are a lot of moments in rom where i have thoughts about well aren't the dire wraiths just scrolls and i was sitting there going thinking to myself man like rom space knight really has a lot in common to me with the silver surfer and i love the silver surfer and it's like why didn't i not get into rom because he, he is very much like the silver surfer and now that i'm reading this it's like very cosmic you know i i'm well known for loving outer space and scientific things and 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 you know even though rom is mainly set on earth and defending the earth from dire rates there are these cosmic level stories and a lot of his you know backup stories and the historical stuff set in galador like all take place these these epic space battles and things like that and so mm -hmm. I, i'm like it's weird to me how forgiving I can be of Bill Mantlo's writing when he he sort of hangs a lampshade on all those things because like Mr. Fantastic will show up and be like, geez, like these dire wraith are a lot like scrolls, Sue. Like they, they both can shape change and whatever. Right. And it's like and Galactus will be like, hmm, like this ROM is very noble, reminds me of Norn Red, the Silver Surfer. And it's like funny to me, like normally I, I usually find that kind of stuff abhorrent where it's like just because you hang a lampshade on something doesn't forgive you for ripping it off. But like right. but like I'm sitting there going, I don't know what it is about ROM, but it's kind of charming to be for some reason like I'm very forgiving of all that kind of stuff where it, it, it doesn't seem to, I, I don't seem to be that upset by it. It's almost like the familiarity in its own way is, is a nostalgia trip for something I haven't read, but it's from an era that I'm, uh, an era of comics that I'm nostalgia nostalgic about, I guess. Right. And, and, you know, and, and being that you're, you know, and that's why I always kind of figured you would have been more of a, you would have been a ROM guy because of the, the love of, you know, the space and the sci-fi angle on that. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't want to ruin too much of, you know, for the reading enjoyment, but when you get to those later issues, when eventually the dire wraith problem is taken care of, that you're going to get plenty of intergalactic space 
wrong. So you do have a lot to look forward to there. Were you or are you at all a fan of Steve Ditko's artwork? Yeah, I'd like, I know, I know some people are like, oh, Steve. Well, you know, what's funny. It's like, I, I always kind of came to that where when I was a stupid kid and all I liked was, you know, like Todd McFarlane and, and Jim Lee or whatever, like that was right. That I, at that point, I probably looked at Marvel Masterworks and went, oh, you know, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, that's old, you know, and I was just a dumb kid. So like, I probably had that moment when I was like, you know, 10 or something, but I've, I've, I've long outgrown that. Like I, I kind of love Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby. So I, I'm not going to be, I, I know some people seem to have like a lot of criticisms for, for, you know, I, I would imagine even as, as renowned as Kirby and Ditko are in their heyday, like mm -hmm. meaning like, you know, the silver age of Marvel comics. Like I, I can see people throwing stones at like, Oh, well, you know, Jack Kirby in the seventies isn't as cool as, Jack Kirby in the 60s and you know the the same thing for for Steve Ditko maybe I could see people going oh well you know I, I kind of hear that trepidation in your voice like if you're not cool with Steve Ditko in in the 80s then you might not be that keen on some later issues of ROM but I don't I don't think I'll have that problem well I I think it you know it, it kind of goes back to what I talked about with John Byrne you either love him or hate him and I loved his work like you know that 60s seminal work of, of Ditko but my only problem with him was when he was doing the the run on a speedball. Oh, okay, okay. You know, here he is, comic, you know, new superhero of the 90s, we're bringing him in, and here you have an artist who still draws everybody like they live in 1962. <laughs> it It is, his work didn't have to involve, but for Christ's sakes, at least evolve the wardrobe you're drawing on people and the hairstyles that, are on people they still like i said you're wanting to set this in the modern era and it still looks like this would be amazing adult amazing adventures number 16 from may of 1962 or whatever i just i've always felt that his work it just embodies a time period so but like i said I mean, if, if, you, if you dig steve dicko then you'll dig those later issues of rom because he actually came back to marvel and did a long run, I think, until the very end. I got two words for you about all that. Holy cats, TJ! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, Pinky. <laughs> you know, you know when the when Stardust is is doing his nefarious life energy stealing from the children. Like one of the things that that I kind of was drawn to is you, you kind of said it was eerie and like what it kind of reminded me of remember when you were in like biology class like in high school and they had those those mannequins of like where you could see the skeletal structure and then the muscular and like the the you know you could see your your arteries and all those different layers and you would like right. slowly peel off things like one by one so you're like here i'm right. holding some plastic lungs and all that kind of stuff and right it's like, that's right. kind of what that's kind of what when he he's stealing their life force, like you can see like the the musculature and the the skeleton like come out and stuff like that, and that's I I can see why that'd be eerie because you're kind of it it looks sort of like the children are in a state of dismemberment almost as he's taking their life force, even though you know all, all he's doing is taking the energy and he's not right. know, definitively killing them, but but there is that aspect to it where that that can look kind of kind of creepy you know especially when it comes yeah. to kids and, and and speaking of biology ladies and gentlemen if you ever wonder i this it, it brought a question up to me 
how do Galadorians procreate? This is going to make that question even more strikingly because there is one panel when quote unquote Stardust is is analyzing and examining Rom, and you see this explosive view of 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 the armor separating from the body. Clear shot, and I understand comics code, but clear shot. Galadorians don't have genitalia; they're like Ken dolls. I think I think that's still the. I'm I'm gonna say that's the armor because he's got his little you know his his black hair itself or whatever. I'm sure I'm sure that version. The, the the human version still has the genitalia. I'm just saying, Ken dolls all the way. <laughs> it's a nod. It's a nod to the Parker brothers. Nice. <laughs> which then, which then goes to which, which then let's let's talk for a second about that backup story. Okay. Traitor. Okay, yeah. The entire time, I'm I'm just giggling my ass off because oh, here I we was, have a I space was, night. I was waiting. Spa- I was waiting. You were waiting for it. <laughs> I was here waiting. You for this. I knew we I got knew it. This we- was coming. We got a space knight named Glory Hole, kids. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. It's like, yeah, like you know what's funny is like, why can't you, you can't not think of that? Like, I'm sitting there going, wait, he fights a dude named Glory Hole? Like, serious? Like, what? Yeah, it doesn't take much to figure me out, does it? <laughs> I was like, I can't. I was like, that's really, yeah, that's kind of hilarious. Not all, not. Not only, not only was he glory hole, he's a treacherous glory <laughs> hole. But then, but then afterwards, we find out that it's not that the glory hole was bad. It was just, you know, it was, it was, it was, it, it, it the glory hole just took a wrong turn. <laughs> so then, glory hole then becomes, you know, vilified in his existence. And then as Glory Hole passes away, Rom does the right thing and turns it into a flaming Glory Hole. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> the, the art is nice. The art is nice. I like Greg LaRoque. The art's really nice. But yeah, so, sometimes, I don't know, Like I, I think that, that does kind of fall into my whole... I, I have a negative attitude about backup strips sometimes where I was like, this isn't important. You know, and I, I don't I don't know that it necessarily is, other than there's a space knight named Glory Hole. We've got Glory Hole. Glory Hole the Space Knight. Uh. <laughs> and that's how you close that out. Nice. Kids. Nice. <laughs> Alright. So this is gonna wrap up this episode of Comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? If you've enjoyed listening to this show, we hope you enjoy checking out our backlog of episodes on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. And I'm going to take a brief moment and ask TJ if people have enjoyed the dulcet tones of TJ on this podcast. Where can people find you out there on the interwebs, TJ? Oh, good lord, kids! Well, if you're if you're if you're enjoying the level of of base dick and fart joke humor that you're hearing right now, feel free check us out Quad M Show. The main home, of course, is QuadMProductions.com. There you can check out our comic book series Enigma. You can also check out the the, the vast archives of the Quad M Show. Yeah, no, if you you go to uh, QuadMProductions.com, you can check out check out our comic book series Enigma. You can check out all the past episodes of the Quad M show, of which, of course, Derek has been on several times as we expand and expound on various comic book movies 
that are going on. And of course, your great side project there of, of the history of comics on film. And also, too, if you have any type of a podcast catcher out there, if you're on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, you know, wherever it is you get them, do the search Quad M Show and you'll be able to find it real, real quick and, and, and enjoy to your heart's content. Awesome. Yeah, so that, that's been this episode. And, you know, again, you know, Fan Holes Podcast, we've got a bunch of spinoff shows. Check those out. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC. Creature, you have defiled me with your unholy examination, and you will go no further, you shape-shifting obscenities. Signing off. scene like where it was like somebody you know farted for like 20 minutes and there was a dead space like that yeah then <laughs> then i cut it out but it was like if it, but it, you know it wasn't it wasn't the same as as what i normally See, do and, and that right there is the difference between our shows because that would that would be left in and i would actually elongate the awkward silence <laughs> you, you you do it and you play it in slow-mo where it's like <laughs> <laughs> pitch shifted throw shift it down a little throw some extra like, bass in it's like, there it's like pinhead's like let that ass rip bro. <laughs> you know whatever yeah exactly exactly <laughs>